Sylvia and me. Sylvia and Sylvia and me. Sylvia and Sylvia and me. Sylvia and me. Sylvia and me. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hello, I'm Elise Nelson. I'm president, CEO, and one of the co-founders of Vital Voices Global Partnership. We search the world for women who have a daring vision for change, and then we invest in her to take that vision to scale. And welcome to Sylvia and me. Elise, thank you so much um, for being here today. Uh, we're going to have a wonderful conversation. Vital Voices is something that I think so many people need to hear about if they don't already. Um, we're in a, in a current um, atmosphere of women leaders. Um, in fact, we're making history right now in the number of women leaders and soon to have a woman, a female, the first female vice president. Yes. So, you know, we say we've come a long way. We have, we still have a ways to go, but I want to go back a little. Um, you, president and CEO of Vital Voices um, and co-founder, but there's a little bit more to what you've done. I know that you became, you took over that, that position um, in 2009 and mm -hmm. under your leadership, um, the reach has over expanded to over 18,000 women leaders across about 182 countries, if not more. That's right. But I want people to know a little bit more about your background. So I'm going to read a little because memorization is not what I totally do. <laughs> okay. You've served as deputy director of the State Department's Vital Voices Global Democracy Initiative. You've worked with the President's Interagency Council on Women at the White House. You're a member on the Council on Foreign Relations, and you serve as a board member of Running Start, Rad Aid, and Black Trans Femme in the Art Collective. You're on the board, the advisory board of Chime for Change and Global Citizen. Newsweek Magazine named you one of the 150 shaking, women shaking the world. Fortune Magazine featured you as one of the 55 most influential women on Twitter. And Apolitical named you as one of the most, one of the 100 most influential people in global gender policy. You've been honored with awards such as the Tribeca Disruptive Innovation Award and Foreign Policy Citizen Diplomat of the Year Award. Wait, I have a little bit more. Um, you're also the author of the best-selling Vital Voices, The Power of Women Leading Change Around the World, and editor of Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower. Um, not too shabby. Can you see my shirt? It's one of my favorite sayings. Use your power to empower. Exactly. Exactly. So I want, I'd love to go back to why was Vital Voices founded? Why was it established? Sure. And I'll have to say that um, I was the baby founder. I was very young back in those days. My journey really began in uh, 1995 when as a college student, a 21-year-old college student, I heard about the Beijing Fourth World Conference on Women, the United Nations Fourth World Conference. It was going to be the largest gathering ever in history of women advocates and activists. And if you think about it, in 1995, there was no social media. There was no Google. 
(laughs) So you couldn't just type into a computer, women's rights globally, what are the issues? You know, who are the leaders? You had to go places and meet them. And I thought, this is my opportunity. I was fascinated with women's issues uh, in college and, and really my whole life, I think, just really interested in people who are making the world a better place. Um, and I desperately wanted to go. I bought the cheapest ticket I could find. I, you know, I had like four stopovers before landing in Beijing and I had a transformative experience, you know, just meeting and learning about issues that are now pretty mainstream, but back then they were not, you know, issues like human trafficking or, um, you know, even domestic violence, uh, you know, now they're commonplace, right? Or microfinance and the powers to uplift communities out of poverty or the fact that in many places around the world, people choose not to educate their girls and instead to marry them off very young and have them go through culturally harmful practices like FGM. So as a young woman, I'm, my eyes are wide open learning about all of this. And honestly, it was on the last day of the conference when then First Lady Hillary Clinton came out to the NGO gathering, which was this gathering of 55,000 leaders, activists. Um, and she gave this incredible speech, you know, women's rights are human rights. And it wasn't so much those words, those became, that became the clarion call, if you will. But to me, what she did is she took all the issues that I had learned about, but didn't know about before going to that conference and raised them up to the world stage. So now all of a sudden, everybody watching TV that day, people opening up a newspaper the next day would know what happened at that gathering. It would know about these issues that were not mainstream, were not you know, uh, featured in newspapers and books, et cetera. And I thought that's really powerful that she recognized she had voice and position and she wanted to use it to give voice and to give power, right? And I think for me, I realized it many years later, but right there in that moment as a 21 year old, you know, wondering, you know, knowing what I'm passionate about, but not knowing which way my life and career would go. I thought that's, that's what I want to figure out how to do, how to use the small voice that I have, the small power that I have, because we all have power to give power, to give voice. And honestly, I think that is ultimately what we do at Vital Voices. It really was started because Hillary Clinton returned from that gathering Uh, linked up with her then chief of staff, Milan Revere, the incoming secretary of state, Madeleine Albright, um, an incredible activist ambassador, Swanee Hunt. I ended up coming down for an internship at the White House that turned into like the dream job um, for the president's interagency council on women who were basically the most senior women in the government all appointed to look at how do we make sure we follow up on the document that we signed at that gathering. And the first year we were very focused on the United States. How can we make sure that across the United States, women do actually have these rights and opportunities that were signed onto? It's not law abiding, these international treaties, but you know, they do give you something to say, hey, you signed on to this. Are you actually doing it to governments and to leaders? Um, but really the second year in 96 and into 97, that office began to look around the world. Madeleine Albright became Secretary of State. And I think that Hillary really found her voice, or I should say Secretary Clinton found her voice um, really around the world, recognizing how much she could do for women around the world and um, really decided to really use that and and working alongside Madeleine Albright um, at the State Department and a group of others 
um, including Ambassador Swanee Hunt, we held the first Vital Voices Conference. And I was like the you know little staffer, um, but so passionate, so committed. Um, and really what began to happen after that gathering, which brought women together from the former Soviet Union, Central and Eastern Europe, because it was you know the fall of the former Soviet Union and the fall of the wall. And it was about people coming out and, and democracy and how could democracy flourish with only half the population having real rights and opportunities um, with violence happening against women, but not really having laws or that name to call it out as domestic violence and say, this is, this is a thing, it happens and it's wrong. And there was such a need to bring women together to have these conversations about what was going on. And I think for them to know that they were not alone. Um, and I think in the beginning, that's what was really powerful is to know there are other people like you who are leading extraordinary change around the world. And they too feel alone and they too feel as though they are the only ones. And we began to just bring them together and find ways to uplift them and support them. And then we got calls from women all over the globe. And that's really where, quite frankly, my sort of job took off because all of a sudden, you know, we were traveling around the world, hosting Vital Voices gatherings and conferences sponsored by the US government. It was a US government initiative um, to really follow on the Beijing conference, uh, you know, which was a totally global gathering. But at some point in there, three years or so down the road, 1999, 2000, we began to realize this is so much bigger there is no one really searching the world to find women who are tackling the world's greatest challenges, climate change, violence against women, uh, economic inequities, racial justice. There's nobody who's doing that, who's finding these women, bringing them together, providing them with training, support, mentors, a network of their peers, which we have seen to be one of the most powerful things we offer, financial support, um, but also really holistic support. And so that's what we've been doing. And when you said the number 18,000 women across 182 countries, that's a really important number because for us, that's not about the number of heads we've touched. That's the group of women who are engaged with us, who are part of Vital Voices. Um, it's a lifelong membership because the thing is, what we learned is that change takes time, right? It is not about you know, you're gonna see that change in a month. So we'll support you for a month and well, good luck to you. It's really about being there in the long run and supporting them when they step back a few steps and then supporting them when they move forward. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the holistic kind of support that all leaders need, but particularly women leaders around the well, world. Um, I wanna get back to that for a second, but one of the things that you said is, you know, as women, a lot of, uh, you know, the talk goes that, we finally found our voice. But one of the things I know that you've said is we've always had a voice. Women have always had a voice. We're finally being heard. Mm. Um, so as women leaders, um, what is what are some of the obstacles that and barriers that that are put up um, as opposed to, you know, men never think twice about running for office or whatever. As women, we we do think twice. We think three or four times and 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 try to figure out should we or shouldn't we move forward. Once we mm. do, we're usually in the game. So, what are some of the things that um, women um, really have to kind of 
not just go through, but really bring um, bring uh, awareness to. Yeah, it's a it's a really important question, and it's something that um, is is a core part of our model in in investing in leaders. I think most of the women, when when we um, connect with leaders who we just see as like rising stars, you know, leading movements to, you know, um, end land grabbing in in Cambodia by the government. I mean, just doing these extraordinary things. And I'll say, wow, you're, you're such an extraordinary leader. And they're like, oh, no, I'm not a leader. I'm just a person who gets up every day and does the right thing for my family and my community. And it's like, well, what do you think leadership is? You know? <laughs> And the problem is, is that the models of leadership that we've always looked to look very different, right? They're more hierarchical, they're more male, they're more white, they're more wealthy, connected, the corner office, so many people report to them, it's official titles being elected or appointed. And so if you're just doing the right thing every day, you don't think of yourself that way. And one of the biggest things that we have done is as we've supported so many women across cultures and generations and, you know, different backgrounds and languages and religions, we recognize that there are these five commonalities in the way that women lead change. And once we began to recognize them in, in women, this is not, I didn't come up with this. This is what we learned. We didn't even, we didn't even publish that book until 15 years in because it was like, wait, okay. And, and honestly, we didn't, we really, Publish the book to get the model out there because one, we wanted to share it, but also we wanted women in our network who we'd seen leading in this way to feel seen and like credentialized. Like you're right, you're, you're validated. The way you do it is right. And then you see them double down on that. And I think the, the bottom line is that women lead differently. And I think because there have been so few women in traditional positions of leadership that we can all see, visually see, right? they have had to adapt to a male model of leadership. And I shouldn't speak in such, you know, we all know there's a, there's a- yes, um, there, there, you know. there's always a disclaimer. <laughs> of course. Um, but I think that, I mean, you look at someone like Barack Obama, for example, and I would say, and I was saying this to a mentor of mine, uh, Laura Liswood, who's a great leadership guru. She founded something called the Council on Women World Leaders. It's a kind of club of all the women presidents. And I said, you know, I think, I think Barack Obama kind of leads in a little bit more of that style that we see women leading in. And she said, well, of course he does because he has had to learn empathy. Now, empathy people think of is like super weak. But here's the thing, what she says is, and this is very true, is like, if you are an O in a room of all X's, what do you need to know about the X's? Everything. What do the X's need to know about you? Nothing, right? So you have to figure out how am I going to operate? You need to be able to put yourself in those people's shoes and understand them. And I think that that is something that women naturally bring one because there are maybe less, you know, fewer of us there. But also, I think it, it is more natural to us. Um, and and it, 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 I think it's a skill that just comes very naturally. And so that is a cornerstone of this, this model that we've seen. But would you ever, let's say even you know, 10 years ago, hear a leader, male or female, talk about empathy as core? Now you're starting to hear it. 
but even you know seven years ago eight years ago when we put this model out it was like empathy what are you talking about that's weak leaders can't show that's, weakness that's why women are so afraid to be assertive because if if we're assertive we're looked at at being bitchy really and if we're not then we're looked at being weak um, empathy kind of uh, sounds you know, like it goes in the weak box, but it's it's not. It's connectivity with people. It's it's, yeah. it's a very also it's a tool. It's a tool. So like I feel like you know I've always had very strong empathy, and I feel like I utilize that as a tool to understand people. And if I did not have that, I can't. Even, I don't even know how I would lead an organization and a network of women all over the globe. Like I, that is like the most important tool in the toolbox, in my opinion, that ability to step outside yourself and step into someone's shoes and try and understand how they're thinking about this. And I think to be able to meld between, you know, talking to, you know, a head of state and then, you know, going to a village and, and, and talking to a woman who is trying to pioneer something that's never been done before, but she's not recognized in that same way. And being able to meld between those those various communities, I think, takes real empathy. Um, the other thing that I'd say is, uh, I think because for so long this was the model, um, and you know, one of the things that we do is shine a spotlight on a different model of leadership, which is more collaborative, empathetic. I think the number one thing that I see. Um, in, in women is that they're wrong in their community and they step up to write it. It's one reason why maybe they don't come to their leadership. They maybe come to their leadership after they've further experienced their life, maybe after they've had a family. And a lot of it is like they see a wrong and they step up to write it. And that's one of the things that we look for in, in those that we invest in, because we know the motivation then for that leadership is very pure, right? It's coming from a place of saying, I am not seeking power for the sake of power. I'm seeking power to empower the people, the issues, right? And that's the kind of leaders ultimately that we want. That's, that's key. That's something that you've said before is, you know, power to empower others and not just to have the power to, um, to take over. Uh, the other thing that, uh, so we talked about empathy and also women have the ability, you know, to adapt to change, which mm -hmm. for a lot of men is very difficult. And again, I think one of the reasons it's, it's just an attribute that most women have that's, you know, inbred in, in our makeup. Mm -hmm. So um, what else can you uh, say that is uh, an attribute that, oh, as women that we have that men don't usually have. I mean, yes, there are some who do, but we're talking generalities, right? Now. Yeah, we're talking generalities. And I should also say, you know, I think this holds true for, for people also who identify as women, right? Um, one of the things that I find that is so fascinating is how women are able to find commonalities across all the other things that divide us and make us different, right? And in fact, we are more comfy in that space because we are very much about that sort of bonding relationship. So I'll give you an example. Anytime we have 
a new group of women leaders come for one of our fellowship programs from all over the world, different sectors and industries. And you know, the, one of the first things that they'll do when they arrive is they're talking about how difficult it was to organize everything, all the food in the refrigerator for the husband for the week. <laughs> or, you know, they're talking about their kids. Or right. Like they're, they're trying to find like, where's the place where we can connect? I mean, I'm sure you do that as well. I mean, I'm always like, where's the place, right? Yep. Because that's where we can build from. And actually it turns out like that is a skill you need for leadership because if you only work with the people who agree with you, you can only get so far. You have to work with and build allyship with those people who maybe disagree with you on 10 things, but there's one thing you can agree upon and that one thing is where you want to make the difference. Um, right, and you can build so, on that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you and, see that, you think about like our Congress, right? Yes. Or the Senate, it's always sort of the women behind closed doors who save the day. And, and quite frankly, don't get a lot of the credit for it, but who, who kind of will come across that line, those typical lines that divide. We've seen it in Northern Ireland. Um, we've seen it in Somalia when women had to create the sixth tribe because they had to be members of the other five tribes were all about their fathers or their husbands. And they, they were like, no, 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 let's come together and create one tribe that's just about women and all of us coming together. So we see that in cultures and communities around the world, women doing that. Um, and that's the, one of the things that I talk about in the, in the first book that you mentioned that came out in 2012 is some of the stories and the women who taught us this model, but also how we incorporated it into the organization as some of our core values. So another one, I'll just say another, um, another uh, practice of our leadership model, and we do call them practices because we feel like you're never at the end. And I think as leaders, the other piece of great research we have now, but I wish I could have included it in the book, but it came out afterwards, um, was basically how one of the biggest differences between men and women as they rise into very senior leadership positions is that women never stop asking for feedback. And that men often get to a certain point, it's like, well, I must be doing it right, I'm here, you know? But, but you know, you think about it, I mean, the world changes so fast, the needs change so fast. Um, you have to constantly ask for feedback. And, and I do believe that leadership is, is very much like, you know, a muscle in the same way that, you know, if you don't, you know, work out every day or how many times a week, it's gonna not be so great. Right. So, <laughs> so you have to keep working on it. Otherwise you're getting worse. You're not getting better. Um, which reminds me that I haven't worked out yet today, but <laughs> Hopefully I'll get to that later on. Okay. Um, um, and we also, uh, women are also more open to delegate. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that comes from whether it's running a house with a family or just, you know, having to, we're not afraid to, as I said, ask directions. I, I don't think, uh, I think more women are not adverse to delegating to knowing that it takes a community <clears throat> that not everything needs to be done by themselves. And so one of the things, um, you know, Vital Voices is, is global, but I know that you've talked about the fact that instead of looking at it as global, that leaders are leaders who are starting off locally. It's not that they have to change the world. It's very important to notice something in your own surroundings that you that needs to be changed 
And as you said before, instead of stopping to think, how do you, you know, they go in and they, they, they write the wrong. And from mm -hmm. there, you know, they, it just, it, it just is um, contagious. Well, mm -hmm. We don't want to use that word right now, but, you know. Thank <laughs> you. I'm hysterical, but you know, it's that type of thing where it, it people, a lot of people are afraid to make a move on something because they don't think it's large enough. Right. Whereas it yeah. just takes a kernel or a seed to grow. Yeah. Um, so well, you're exactly right. And one of the things that I have learned over the years working with so many women is that you can only change what you actually know and experience, right? And it's one of the reasons that we go into every community listening and searching for the leaders who aren't relying on us to bring the solution from outside. How would I know? I don't know about the culture, the community. I'm not going to be there long term to see its implementation and to see it take roots. Um, so I think what is, what, is, what is really important is that understanding that you have to go in listening. Um, you have to, even in the communities in which maybe you grew up, respecting that culture. And I could tell you so many stories of extraordinary women who were able to make that change because one, they realized it's going to take time. They worked within that culture and they made that change first within their community. And then they looked at how could this be a model for other communities to be replicated, to be scaled working with other leaders, often in the Vital Voices Network, um, but sometimes just you know people that they might meet or that they might know, or someone who might hear about them and decide I'm gonna take that on. And that's really where we are trying to, to, to get these leaders to. So what we do at, at Vital Voices, we, we measure impact in four different areas. The first piece we look at is, did she achieve what she wanted to do? Did she start the first girls' school in her community that is now educating 500 girls? That was her goal. Did she do it? Yes, she did it. The second thing is, did she change culture so that if one day she has to stay back, it's going to continue on because people in the community support that change and they see the value of it, right? That, that people's behavior and thinking has changed because of it. And then I think the sort of Third mark of leadership is, are other people replicating it? And is she helping to make that happen, right? Is she seen as that leader and that expert more globally, as I was saying, so it's not just about her community, but how can it be replicated elsewhere? How is she now seen as the, you know, girls education expert and speaking other places and helping to plant the other seeds? And then lastly, we look at how is she paying that forward? And a lot of times that's internally within her community to make sure she has that number two, right? Who's gonna step in um, and that succession plan. Uh, but also she's helping other people maybe start something similar that it's not gonna end with her. And that's really important because I think a lot of times, you know, there is this, well, it, you know, it's my thing and it ends with me. And I think one of the most profound leaders who have had the greatest impact that I have seen are replicating their model and themselves, you know, in, in willing leaders or future leaders around the world. So can you um, tell the listeners, uh, what is one of the most powerful stories that has taken place? 
You've got over, voices. Yeah. You have over 18,000 leaders. Oh. One of the most amazing ones. Oh, it's one, so one hard. Thousands. I know. I know. It's so hard. And of course, you know, I can't pick favorites because um, I'm just no, so in awe. Just, just <laughs> kind of like one of the most amazing stories where even you didn't think it could be done, but it was. And, you know, some, a lot of good has come out of it. Yeah. I mean, there's many stories to share. So I will share um, one. Uh, woman I met for the first time in 2006. Her name is Maria Pacheco. She's from Guatemala. And she grew up, of course, in Guatemala against the backdrop of a terrible civil war. Um, and people being parsed apart, sort of the, the Mayan and the non-Mayan, right? Because of, because of that, that terrible war and the violence. And even though maybe that war had come to an end, it was like, that, that film of war and of violence could, just couldn't be shed and this idea of hope. And we came into contact with her. She was a, 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 um, a researcher and a biologist and just very, very into the earth and, but also really thinking about how can I heal the earth for the people and really started to become an entrepreneur as she would go, or I should say a social entrepreneur as she'd go into communities um, throughout Guatemala and recognize here are families where they have to decide, does, does this child go to the hospital or does do the other four children eat, right? And recognizing how can I create a revenue stream for them? And these are some of the things that we worked with her on and supported her on in developing basically a new social enterprise um, that would help provide markets for these communities that were facing famine, um, that were facing you know, terrible poverty, also violence, um, and really pull them out and, and allow them to see a more hopeful future. But then what was so amazing about her is after, I guess about two years after her first Vital Voices training, she'd been part of the network, we'd been supporting her. She called me up one day and she said, you've got to come down to Guatemala because you're never going to understand the impact that you've had on me until you can see what I've been able to do in my community. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> and so we have a full delegation of great women from actually all over the region, the United States, and we head down. And I was in awe because she had built a Vital Voices chapter in Guatemala, but also engaged women leaders that she knew had participated in the past in Vital Voices or women who she thought ought to be part of Vital Voices and engage them in starting up Vital Voices chapters all over Central America. And I remember we, everybody was, you know, crammed into this little church. And of course, cause she had this deep understanding of healing and the community. She had reached out to a number of Mayan women and she had engaged them in leadership positions in this new Vital Voices entity. And their focus for the most part is heavily investing in girls and the future um, of Guatemala. And um, it, was, it was just so profound. And I remember at the time, the, the, I wasn't the, yet the CEO, the, the CEO was Milan Verveer uh, and Mary Eric. they were co-CEOs and I called up Milan who, 
shortly thereafter went on to be the first ever global ambassador to the United States for women's issues, which is a great mentor of mine. I said, you know, this thing we talk about, how women pay it forward, how they go back when you invest in them and they invest in many more. It's true. Like it is true, (laughs) you know, because, you know, you hear about these things and you think these things are true and then you see it and you're just like, this is profound. Um, And just to see how, you know, 10 years later, 12 years later now, that network has continued throughout Central America. They've reached and trained thousands of women. You know, many of them women that I'll never know that I'll never meet, but it's the idea that the seeds, and they talk about the special sauce of Bible voices, you know, the training programs that we put together, that they've taken those forward and they're spreading those. And I think for me, that was really powerful to see how when women gain opportunity, they, 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 they really do look around and say, who do I share this with? And I think some of these, you know, oh, women pull up the ladders. They don't let other people come along. I have not found that to be true, both me personally. I mean, I've been mentored by, as I said, the, you know, the former CEO and, and chair of the Board of Vital Voices. I continue to be mentored by the current chair of the Board of Vital Voices. I am mentored by women around the world. I'm a product of Vital Voices, 100%, the way that I lead, the way that I think. Um, but also, I, I, see, I see it like to a T. And women will often say to me when they come to a Vital Voices program, they'll say, so it didn't cost me anything to be part of this year-long fellowship, which I know is a big investment in me. Like, what am I, like, how can I pay you back? This was so amazing. I said, don't worry, you will. And they're like, well, what do you mean? You know, are you taking equity in my company or what? You know, like, no, no, you will because you're going to pay it forward. And, you know, ultimately when people invest in you, that's the only thing you can do, right? You think about all, all the great mentors you've had, you probably can never pay them back, but you can pay it forward. You can pay it forward. And, and that is the legacy. Well, that's the thing. They're leaving a le- legacy. They're planting a seed. It's like doing a franchise. They're planting it. They're, they're doing it. And then they're letting people grow with it. And mm-hmm. as each new you know, leader comes on, there's more that can be done and we're heard more and more. So if you had one thing, one message to, to give women right now, what would that be? That we're rising, but the tide <laughs> oh, is turning. Yeah. We are rising. In fact, I just got moments before you and I connected, I got a message of, on, on WhatsApp from um, one of our Vivian Gage fellows from a year ago these are women political leaders, policymakers, and this woman, Violetta, is actually just been named to be confirmed as the transition uh, president or prime minister of um, Peru. You know, with with obviously the the political turmoil they've had, and they are bringing her in. So, you know, I mean, to me. I just see it all over, you know, and, and, I, and I feel like I'm a pretty good judge because I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been working on these issues for 25 years. These issues have become more mainstream. We've got great data. We've got great research that shows that no country can move forward if they leave women and girls behind. That in fact, economies would gain $28 trillion by 2025 if women just were given the same 
access and opportunities to economic development as men. And that's a McKinsey and Company report. That's not my own thoughts. <laughs> um, so we've got a lot, I've got a lot more allies as well, right? We, we've got a lot more going for us. But I think honestly, I predict coming out of this crisis, you know, obviously the first ever vice president elect in the United States and a incredible example and a woman of color, a black woman, a South Asian woman. I can't tell you what that meant to black women, but also to women in India who felt like one of our own is in the White House. I mean, that's, it's a big deal. It has ripple effect. It is a big deal. Yeah. And it's here's the thing, what we were talking about earlier about how, you know, when women, you know, get into these positions, there's not a lot of them. And then, you know, they, they sort of feel like they have to meld to the model that they see on display. They're, this next generation is seeing a different model. And because there are more women, they can lead in their authentic, you know, way, right? And so my belief is that this model will spread, that we will see more women rise into leadership positions that we will not have to celebrate across party lines. I mean, it's nice to celebrate across party lines when we have a woman because it's just, we all, you know, we always have a woman, right? You know, that it won't be, that it won't be, you know, out of the ordinary. Um, and I think, you know, that, that day is coming, I predict sooner than what the World Economic Forum and others say when they say it's going to take 257 years or 100, you know, all kinds of things. I believe we can move faster. Um, and particularly, I think, as people begin to see the value that women bring, working in collaboration, in full partnership with men. That's, that's it, collaboration. Uh, <clears throat> another thing, another attribute that most of us do have. Um, Elise, what is the website that people can find out more about and, and take a look at some of these stories and the women? It's vitalvoices.org, O-R-G. So join us, sign up for our newsletter. You can donate and you can um, get a copy of our latest book, which is a beautiful coffee table book. I have it in the other room, otherwise I'd show it. Um, but it, it actually, it's, it's a, it was a collaboration with a wonderful artist, Gail Kabaker. Nice. And we wanted to have interviews and first person narratives of a hundred women, all nominated by our network of leaders around the world who we felt were really using their power to empower and give people a sense of how the tide is turning and people are recognizing the value that women bring as leaders. Well, Elise, thank you so much. Um, we are rising and no one's stopping us. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, the ceiling is not there. It's, uh, it's the sky's the limit, I think. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. On our next podcast, I'll be talking to another extraordinary, inspiring woman who has made her mark on the world. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and, of course, our website, sylviaandme.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to keep up with the latest episodes. Review, rate, and take us with you wherever you are. I want to hear from you. If you know of an extraordinary, inspiring woman, please contact me at sylvia at lifeofprey.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay safe. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, 
the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. This has been a Life of Prey production.